वसुदेवसुत कंसचाणुरमर्दनम देवकनंदम कृष्ण वंदे जगद्गुरु सो वी आर स्टडिंग द इलेवेंथ चैप्टर ऑफ द भगवद गीता विच इज द चैप्टर ऑन वट इज कॉल्ड विश्वरूप दर्शन द विजन ऑफ द कॉस्मिक फॉर्म विश्वरूप लिटरली मीन्स कॉस्मिक फॉर्म एंड इट्स अ यूनिक चैप्टर इन द होल भगवद गीता ऑल द चैप्टर्स हैव कृष्णा टीचिंग अर्जुन समथिंग एक्सेप्ट द फर्स्ट वन वेर अर्जुन इज बेसिकली वाइनिंग no i mean that's not fair uh, so uh, there it's it's the beginning of the whole bhagavad gita because arjuna raises a very serious question there the question of war as just yesterday in stony brook university in a group of philosophers and uh, one of the philosophers said to me you know i'm worried about this question i know some, somebody is going to ask me very soon in the class the war should we fight or not fight and just to make it clear none of these philosophers are going to fight <laughs> none of them but they are worried about it uh i said yeah go ahead and fight so no 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 this is the, it's not that simple uh, it is true it's not that simple at all uh, and uh, i told them an anecdote about bertrand russell and wittgenstein so in the first world war bertrand R- russell and wittgenstein both were in they were in cambridge university before that and when the war broke out wittgenstein was austrian so you know england france they were on one side and the austro-hungarian empire and germany they were on the other side um so wittgenstein and russell had diametrically opposite views should we fight or not remember this was the first world war and if you know the history in the beginning of the war everybody was very gung ho about it they all wanted to fight they all went off with thoughts of glory back home by christmas that was the uh, no not back home by christmas uh, it was it would be more than 4 years 5 years and most of them wouldn't come home for any christmas so bertrand russell said no i will not fight uh, he was an objector he was a conscientious objector pacifist and he stuck to his principles at the risk of losing his job and even being imprisoned because you are you are a person you know of some eminence in your country and your country is at war and you refuse to fight so i mean he was really uh, roundly condemned by a lot of people except a few idealists so he suffered for it that's one wittgenstein took the exact opposite view remember both of these are like the leading philosophers in the at least in the anglophone world in the english uh, speaking world wittgenstein said no your uh, your country is at war whether you agree uh, um or do not agree whatever it is it's your duty to fight if you are eligible to fight you should fight and he went off joined the army and did his best to get himself killed he said his aim was to suffer and if possible die and then of course they lost the war he was put in a prisoner of war camp and in fact it was bertrand russell who helped to get him released from the prisoner of war camp and later he came back to cambridge and did more philosophy but the point is the question is not simple and you can see two people reach diametrically opposite answers and both 
on matters of principle and both suffered terribly for it. Wittgenstein more actually because he, uh, he was in the front line a lot of the times and, and as it so happens to many people who have their head in the clouds, uh, when they want to do something practical they don't like it one bit at all. Uh, he joined the army as a matter of duty, I have to fight, if um, possible suffer and if, um, uh, you know, even better die if possible. But he notes with annoyance the, the sheer brutality and the low class of all the other soldiers and sergeants. <laughs> and what did he expect? Did they expect, he expect them to be philosophers also? <laughs> no. <laughs> he was the one who was out of place there. He didn't like them at all one bit, his co-soldiers. Uh, it is said of Karl Marx, most people don't know this anecdote, he did not like workers. At one time, when he was writing, uh, some of his friends took him to a workers' meeting in England, and he was so disgusted. They were dirty, smelly, coarse, stupid, compared to him, uh, him of course. So he came back and said, never do that again. <laughs> his whole life was standing up for workers and workers' revolution, but only thing is, don't let them in <laughs> within 10 yards of me. <laughs> yeah. So that's the strange thing about many of these people who were great in their own way, but also the human side of that. So Arjuna, the first chapter, he asks this question, well, should I fight or not? And it's not a, not a light question. He said, it will just lead to ruin and death and devastation. And for what? I remember in a class, a person no less eminent than Professor Amartya Sen, Indians here will recognize immediately. He said uh, um, in the class, I was there. I don't know if he said it because he saw me sitting in the class. It was a criticism of the Bhagavad Gita. He said uh, that in the end, those who have read the Mahabharata, in the end they will see that Arjuna spoke the truth. It, what Arjuna said, that's exactly what happened. Everything was ruined. Everything was devastated. So who was correct? He was correct. And not Krishna. So, yeah. Alright. Then this is one unique chapter, chapter 1. The rest of it is Krishna's instructions to Arjuna, except chapter 11. Chapter 11 is um, when Arjuna says, I believe you. I believe God is there. This whole universe is a manifestation of God. You are an incarnation of God, therefore you are God. Even that I believe. All of it I believe what you told me. But I want to see for myself. This is all theoretical to me. Can you experience it? And he says very, in a very humble way, if you think I can experience this, please show me. I don't know if he expected it. Krishna said yes. Alright. Since you're asking for it, you're really asking for it. <laughs> so he did. Um, what did he show Arjuna? The cosmic form of God. Cosmic form of God means, here one must understand the Vedanta metaphysics. The ultimate reality, Brahman, you can understand it um, in, at multiple levels. First is, there is God, Krishna is God, incarnation of God. And you believe in Krishna as the incarnation of God. That's it. You may stop there. It's entirely a matter of faith. A little higher than that is, God as the creator, preserver, destroyer of the universe. Every theistic religion believes in God as the creator of this universe. Omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent, all the omnis. 
So that's another level. And then there's a third level. See, God as the creator of the universe, you're inferring it. You have read it in books. People have told you about it. But what you see is this universe, is this world and ourselves. The third level is that reality which has created this universe is right here. It's literally the, the divinity is the material out of which this universe is created. So what we consider as a material universe is permeated through and through by a divine presence. This is called immanence, divine immanence. That's the third level. So the entire cosmos becomes as it were the body of God. And that's what he showed Arjuna. Is there something beyond that? Yes. When you, the individual, and that ultimate reality, when you realize we are one and the same thing, that Advaitic truth, I am that. That's, that's non-duality. That's beyond that also. But this level is where Krishna shows the entire universe as I am that Brahman. As the universe as the body of God. What is it like? We are also seeing the universe, but we see it piecemeal. In bits and pieces. Right now you're seeing this much only. You're not seeing all of the universe altogether. And even when we see it piecemeal, we also see it as objects. Here are people, here are cha chairs and tables, here all, all of this stuff is there. We don't see it integrated in one person. Like I see a person. I see a body, but I don't think of that person as a collection of body parts. I think of that person as a person. Uh, with a body with different parts. We don't see the universe that way. We don't see it as a cosmic person with the whole universe as different parts of a cosmic person. That's what Arjuna saw. It, saw. And that's what's called Vishwarupa, uh, the cosmic form of God. And then, and? And nothing. Arjuna was stunned, shocked, terrified. Uh, he was terrified. The result only was he was frightened out of his wits. And he said, take it back. I don't want to see this. I would rather see you in your human form. You know, this chapter is so powerful in its poetic imagery. So there aren't much many teachings here. It's just a poetic imagery which is very, uh, very rousing, very inspiring and awesome, sort of awesome. Um, many people think this is the climax of the Bhagavad Gita. Why is there a 12th chapter at all? We should end with, you know, Krishna taught Arjuna so many things. And 11th chapter, Arjuna saw Krishna in this form. That's the end of it. I remember the Bhagavad Gita was being discussed at um, uh, Harvard University in Professor Clooney's class. When we came to the 11th chapter, he said this is the, one of the greatest anticlimaxes in the history of world literature is the 12th chapter of Bhagavad Gita. After this amazing thing, what happens next? Arjuna is shaken. But not that shaken. He comes back to his um, self and starts peppering uh, Krishna with lots of questions. Again, just as he had done in the earlier chapters. So it just goes on. More questions, more answers, more in, uh, philosophy, more practical spiritual instructions and so on. Um, it seems amazing to us. Why would this be so? But the interesting thing is none of the classical commentators, Shankara, Ramanuja, uh, Madhva, Sridhara, Madhusudan, none of the classical commentators give too much importance to this chapter. They don't find it strange that after chapter 11 comes chapter 12. So this is a tremendous spiritual experience 
Now Arjuna knows. He, he doesn't just believe. Before this he said, I believe. Now he says, I know. It is true that God exists. You are an incarnation of God. This entire universe is permeated by divinity. But still he needs to realize it. Become an, This is not enlightenment. You have to go further. Alright, so with this background, we have been going through the verses quite fast because it's basically poetry. Um, Oppenheimer, now there's a movie. He quoted from this chapter. In fact, the verse he quoted will come now when he saw the f explosion of the first atom bomb. Um, I am come time the destroyer of worlds. Another one we also did, like a thousand suns rising in the sky together. Of course, this was a vision of God. That was a vision of the atom bomb. <laughs> we had done 25 last time. Verse number 25. No, nobody seems to be too sure. Yes. All right. 26. This goes on. What is uh, uh, Arjuna seeing? What is he seeing? A description, very poetic description. Verse number 26. Those who want, you can chant after me. Ami chatvam dhritarashtrasya putraha Ami chatvam dhritarashtrasya putraha Sarve saheva avanipala sanghair Sarve saheva vinipala sanghair Bhishmo drona suta putrastathasau Bhishmo drona suta putrastathasau Sahasmadiyai rapiyodha mukhyai Sahasmadiyai rapiyodha mukhyai Vaktranite tvaramana vishanti Vaktranite tvaramana vishanti Dangstra karalani bhayanakani Dangstra karalani bhayanakani Kechi dvilagna dashanantareshu Kechi dvilagna dashanantareshu Sandrishyante churnite ruttamangai Sandrishyante churnite ruttamangai I'll read out the translation. All those sons of Dhritarashtra along with the hosts of kings Bhishma, Drona as also the charioteer's son, which is Karna, together with the principal warriors on our side, are entering into a, in a rush into your terrible jaws, fearful with teeth. Some are seen sticking in the interstices of the teeth with their heads smashed. So a terrible vision that all are rushing to their death. The, this particular book I'm using is a commentary, old commentary, 600 years old, by Sridhar Swami. So he introduces these verses saying that uh, whatever else you wanted to see, you have seen all of this, the entire universe is my body. Whatever else you wanted to see, and he comments here, the commentator, Bhavi Jaya Parajaya Adikam. The victory or defeat to come, it's a war. So naturally he's concerned whether I will win, who will win, will we win or will we be defeated and wiped out. And uh, the commentator says, now Krishna is going to show that also. Time travel. From our perspective we are moving from the past to the present to the future. From Krishna's perspective, from God's perspective, it's like looking at one line. He sees all of it at once. What is in the past, what is now, what is in the future. There's a very 
curious, startling and rather uh, awe-inspiring, even scary little sentence uh, in the Gospel of Sri Ramakrishna where Sri Ramakrishna says to M, the author, suddenly turning upon him and says, Tell me in truth, do I not know all your past and your present and your future? And something comes over M and he bows down with his hand, hands folded and he says, yes, you do. You do. Uh, Krishna said earlier to Arjuna a few chapters ago, many lives. So he says, this is the spiritual knowledge I'm giving you. I have given it to sages and kings in ages past. And Arjuna asks the no-brainer question. What do you mean you have given to those kings? You are, they were born thousands of years ago. You were born just the other day. We are born almost, almost the same age. How did you give them? So this is an occasion to introduce the doctrine of rebirth. And uh, Krishna says, We have had many lives. You, my friend, and I, and all these kings and all these soldiers, we have had many lives. You do not remember any of them. I remember all of them. Mine and yours. So for, from Krishna's perspective, from God's perspective, line is this, uh, time is this flat. Um, you know, the line which he can see all of it. Beginning, middle and end. So he's going to talk about what's going to happen in the future. Also going to show him. But now he shows destruction. And the commentator also says, notice, he's not only saying that all the enemies are going to be destroyed. Arjuna sees. All those who are in, in front, who are going to fight with him, he sees them as all rushing towards destruction. All the great warriors in front of him. But also, he says, I see our people too. Those who are on our side, they are also rushing to destruction. Destruction where? In God. He's as if it were eating them up. And he goes on, 28th verse. Yatha nadinam bahavam buvega. Yatha nadinam bahavam buvega. Samudrameva bhimukhadravanti. Samudrameva bhimukhadravanti. Tatha tavami naraloka vira. Tatha tavami naraloka vira. Vishanti Vaktrani Abhivijvalanti Vishanti Vaktrani Abhivijvalanti As many currents of water from rivers flow towards the sea alone, even so do these heroes in the world of men enter your mouths, flaming all around. So you are, remember he saw God with faces facing all direction and all blazing with fire. So he says as rivers in various courses, they all run into the sea in the ocean. All lives are rushing towards you. That's all of us. We don't see it. I mentioned this book, The Denial of Death, Becker. We got a Pulitzer Prize for it. He says that's one thing that's happening all the time and we are con continuously denying it and we are looking away, turning our face away from it. Arjuna can't turn his face away from it. He's shown that everybody in this world, your hated enemies, your near and dear ones, you yourself, you're all rushing towards this inevitable and very soon this end which is coming to all of us. Uh, then 
Next, another such example, 29. In English, you have the phrase, like moths to a flame. Exactly the same one, 29. Yatha pradiptam jwalanam patanga. Yatha pradiptam jwalanam patanga. Vishanti nashaya samriddha vega. Vishanti nashaya samriddha vega. Tathaiva nashaya vishanti loka. Tathaiva na vishanti loka. Tavapi vaktrani samriddha vega. Tavapi vaktrani samriddha vega. As moths enter into a blazing fire with great speed, only to be destroyed, even so are these people also entering into your mouths with great speed just to be destroyed. The commentator here says uh, two examples. The one earlier was rivers into the ocean. So insentient beings, things in the world. And now he says, Avashatvena praveshe nadivega drishtanta buddhipurvaka praveshe drishtanta maha. Just by natural force, the rivers flow into the ocean. But here there are sentient beings who seem to have free will and like, you know, living beings and they are also rushing towards you uh, and to, to, to their inevitable destruction. Uh, what's the point here? Brahman, God, is defined in Vedanta as the, um, as the source, sustainer and destroyer of this universe. Shrishti Stiti Pralaya Karta. Just as the ocean or water is the source from which waves come up. Where do the waves exist? In water. Where do they finally disappear? Back into water. I was discussing this with uh, yesterday in, in the university with a leading scholar of Islam. In Islam, of course he didn't tell me this, but uh, this is something else I got. In, you know, they have the names of Allah. So, two of the names are the beginning and the end. The first. What is, what is at the beginning of the universe, at the beginning of our lives, at the beginning of everything? The first. The name is the first. The first means God. Allawal. The first. And then the last. At our death, at the death of the universe, what will be there? Allakhir. The last. The final. Very evocative Arabic words. The beginning and the end of all things. That's what he's saying here. Um, often in Christianity uh, and also Judaism, even in Islam also, the fact that God is the destroyer is not stressed. It's, we don't want to think about it. But it must be. If there's one ultimate power, all that is in the beginning, in the middle and the end must be that same divinity. In, um, in Tantra, there is... Divine Mother. So Mother is, is the creator, is the one who gives birth to us, is the one who sustains us and nourishes us. But in the form of Kali, she is also the destroyer of the entire universe. She dissolves the entire universe back into herself. And so different forms of Kali are there. Some are nourishing, some are protective, some are scary. There is something called Shashan Kali. The Kali in the cremation ground. So, you know, Hindus, after death, the bodies are uh, consigned to the funeral fire. So, it's the cremation ground. 
and supposed to be a terrible and scary fa- place haunted by ghosts and it's perpetual halloween there <laughs> and there is a song which is a, a song to the divine mother kali shashane jagi chushama who is awake in the cremation everybody is dead there and people who have come to you know burn the dead bodies they were left so all you can see are the funeral pyres burning and everybody has gone away who is the only one who is awake it's the mother to receive her children who are coming back to her so shoshane jagi chochama in the cremation ground thou art awake o dark mother why i was reminded of this was many years ago exactly about exactly about 30 years ago i had just joined i was a new novice in our ashram in deoghar ramakrishna mission vidyapeet and the president of our order at that time swami bhuteshananda ji also my guru he had he was visiting that ashram i still can vividly recall that evening so in the evening he was sitting there and remember he was at, at that time i think 95 years or 94 years old and he was the head of the entire order and not doing too well physically so he just had a heart operation at the age of 94 so that was so you're sitting there all the senior monks were there and others and i was absolutely a newcomer i just joined the day before <laughs> i was one day old less i didn't know what was going on later i understood so one of the um a gentleman who was the music teacher in that school he was a trained classical musician a devotee also i remember his name manoranjan babu so he he was asked to sing a song a devotional song and he sang this song but um swami bhuteshan ji threw him into such a deeply inward mo- mood you know a very grave profound inward mood and there was a deep silence all around and one of the senior swamis told this gentleman to not to sing that stop so they were all afraid that you know he would turn his mind away from this life and let go of the body number 30 लेलीहसे ग्रसमान समंतात लेलीहसे ग्रसमान समंतात लोकान समग्रान वदनेर्ज्वलद्भी लोकान समग्रान वदनेर्ज्वलद्भी तेजो भीरापूर्य जगत समग्रम तेजो भीरापूर्य जगत समग्रम भासस्तवोग्र प्रतपंति विष्णु भासस्तवोग्र प्रतपंति विष्णु यू आर लिकिंग ऑल दैट साउंड्स फेंटली डिस्गस्टिंग यू आर लिकिंग ऑल दीज पीपल ऑन ऑल साइड्स वाई वाइल वाइल ऑन ऑल साइड्स वाइल डिवरिंग दैम विथ योर फ्लेमिंग फ्लेमिंग माउथ्स filling this entire world with its radiance your fierce glow is scorching it o vishnu now arjuna asks 
He says, I'm bewildered. I don't understand this. What is going on here? This is terrifying. Please speak to me. So he's going to ask this question. And Krishna will speak. But remember, who is speaking? That form, the terrifying form. So it looks at you and then speaks. And what he says doesn't reassure him one bit. He asks, who are you? Tell me, who are you? Um, and he says, I am the destruction of the universe. I, am, I have come time, the destroyer of worlds. 31. Akhya hime kobhavan ugra rupo Akhya hime kobhavan ugra rupo Namastute devavara prasida Namastute devavara prasida Vigyatum ichami bhavantamadhyam Vigyatum ichami bhavantamadhyam Nahi prajanami tava pravrittim Nahi prajanami tava pravrittim Tell me who you are of ferocious form. Salutations to you, O great God, be pleased. I would like to know you, the primeval being, for I do not comprehend your inclination. It means intent. Now the Lord will speak in three verses. Which will scare Arjuna even more. Shri Bhagavan Uvacha Shri Bhagavan Uvacha Kalosmi Lokakshaya Pravriddho Kalosmi Lokakshaya Pravriddho Lokan Samahattum Iha Pravritta Lokan Samahattum Iha Pravritta Rite pitvamna bhavishyanti sarve Rite pitvamna bhavishyanti sarve Yevasthita pratyanikeshu yodhaha Yevasthita pratyanikeshu yodhaha The Blessed Lord said, I am the terrible time, the destroyer of worlds and I am here proceeding to destroy the worlds. Even without you, all these warriors in these armies shall cease to be. So this is the famous verse quoted by Oppenheimer when he saw the, the first explosion of the first atom bomb. I have come time, the destroyer of worlds. Kalo asmi, I am time. Loka kshaya pravritta. Loka pravritta. The destroyer of worlds. Lokakshaya literally means the decay of the worlds, the decay of the universe. And what is your intent? What do you want? He says, I want the destruction of the universe. And then he says, uh, all of these, what you see, all those surrounding you, your enemies and your friends and all of them here, they are, they, they are all doomed. They will die. Whether you kill them or not doesn't matter. So this terrifying and shocking <laughs> revelation and in a certain sense merciless there's no c consideration of our human sentiment here at all and the next verse is also very powerful number 33 so what do we do with this and there's the uh, answer here 33 <laughs> Jitva Shatrun Bhungshwarajyam Samriddham Jitva Shatrun Bhungshwarajyam Samriddham 
मय्येवेते निहता पूर्वमेव मय्येवेते निहता पूर्वमेव निमित्तमात्रं भवसव्यसाचिन् निमित्तमात्रं भवसव्यसाचिन् Therefore arise and attain fame and conquering your enemies enjoy a flourishing kingdom by me alone have these been killed already o sabhyasachin arjuna you be merely an instrument now this needs a lot of unpacking this is the implication if you ask what does this all mean for me what does it mean for free will how are we supposed to live our lives if this is what is going on in the universe this if this is the truth and here is the answer what difference will it make to me this is pretty much nothing and that follows not much is in our in your hands anyway so nothing that you say do think will make any difference what will happen in this universe exactly what i want will happen then what do i do he's against the answer we'll unpack this there's actually it's very relevant right now because i there's this book which has is making the rounds um robert or roger sapolsky determined determined Yeah. I haven't met him. I was just watching an interview and the book was recommended to me by Swami Medhananda Ayan Maharaj. So, yeah, he is pretty he sounds a lot like Krishna here. He is pretty blunt. He looks like a Vedic rishi also long wh- white beard and scraggly hair uh, and the philosopher's eyes. The uh, Guardian review by Oliver Burke I think Burkman Oliver Burkman she said he comes across a vastly learned west coast slacker <laughs> west coast slacker west coast slacker so there he stays straight away almost exactly what krishna is saying here there's no free will it's an illusion that anything that that you are at all in charge of anything in your life so and he says now Uh, what remains to us is how do we live and what consequence this has for human society and he's approaching it entirely from a cognitive science and neuroscience perspective not from vedanta or gita but coming to very similar conclusions all right uh, often these things are cushioned by saying no 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 all that may be some kind of uh, philosophy or science but practically we all have free will and that's what sapolsky is saying practically you don't it's 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 a myth <laughs> yeah. he said for want of a m- more polite word it's a myth <laughs> all right so tasmat tvam uttishtha yasho labhasva so if this is true then what what should i do be up and doing get up and fight uh, take action which is very interesting this is the first thing literally the first thing krishna said to arjuna in the beginning first chapter arjuna put his problems forward that why i should not find or i don't understand whether i should or should not i'm confused and the first thing that krishna said to him was um, um instead of teaching him first he scolded him chapter 2 verse 3 yes क्लैव्यम मास्म गम पार्थ नई उपपद्यते आई थिंक इट्स चैप्टर टू वर्ड्स थ्री 
Chapter 2, verse... Yes. Klaivyam masma gama partha naita tvayupapadya tikshudram hridaya daurbalyam tektu tishta parantapa. He says that this paralysis, I don't know what to do. This does not befit you. You are a, you are a warrior, a man of action. Uh, this smallness, this pettiness, this, uh, this littleness doesn't suit you. You are bigger than this. And so, get up and fight, he says. And exactly the same language he says here. And none of the classical commentators have paid much attention to that, that particular verse. The first one, that uh, chapter 2, verse 3. That's the first thing that Krishna says to, almost the first thing that Krishna says to Arjuna. Swami Vivekananda, on the other hand, he says, reading this verse, you get the merit of reading the entire Gita. And the message of the entire Gita is in this verse. That goes very well with Swamiji's messages. First and central message to all of humanity. That all help is within you. Not, do not seek, seek help from, from uh, elsewhere. Once you find that help is within you, all strength is within you, then only help from outside can help you. And why sh- he says, why should you? Are you not men and women as great as anybody that ever existed? What he means there is that before all spiritual practices, before all devotion, faith, religion, meditation, philosophy, whatever it is, counseling, science, uh, art, whatever it is, before all of that, first comes this impulse from within, I am going to be better than I am. I want to make a change for myself, for others. Unless this impulse comes from within, I'm going to help myself. Nobody can help you. Once you make up your mind, I'm going to change things. Things will the world the world will come around. The universe will send its forces to stand by you. So this was Vivekananda's take on that verse. And Krishna here is saying, because all of this is true, get up and take charge of your life. How so? And then he says, Yasho Labhaswa, gain fame. The commentators say there that um, it's free. I'm doing all the heavy lifting for you. Everything will be done for you. Uh, You just let it happen through you. Jitva Shatrun Bhungshwa Rajyam Samriddham. Overcome your enemies and enjoy or gain this prosperous kingdom. That was his original goal. You remember the whole context of the Mahabharata war. These were five brothers and they were unfairly deprived of what was rightfully theirs, their kingdom. And a lot of, um, you know, uh, they were were tortured and um, oppressed by these villains, their own cousins. And so they decided to fight this just war to regain what was theirs. Uh, And then Arjuna saw that no that didn't matter at all because uh, now he says I don't want the kingdom so should I still fight this war and Krishna tells him you have to fight it not just because you want a kingdom but because it's the right thing to do because it's your duty and so uh, that was the context of the whole Gita here he says here is this kingdom that's what you wanted isn't it you're getting it and the work for getting it the battle will be fought by me so Earn the reputation of the great warrior who defeated the Kauravas. You win this kingdom. Um, Samriddham. A prosperous kingdom. A prosperous kingdom. So very interesting. One commentator points out, what's a prosperous kingdom? What's a good kingdom or prosperous kingdom? Where there is 
prosperity, wealth, success, things are going well. Also, you have wiped out your enemies, <laughs> those who threaten the kingdom. No matter, huh? no matter, it's true. No matter how much of a great economy and place you build up and all, if you have uh, next door Hamas sitting there, not much good. So, um, see, he says, that's, that's a, something that struck the commentator. So, uh, here is this kingdom. Of course, none of it will last long. You're also going to die very soon. So, <laughs> But uh, where is the solution to the problem of free will here? That's what's coming next, most important. Maiva nihita purva meva nimitta matram bhavasabhyasachin All these, your enemies, they are, they are all dead anyway, as you all are anyway. So, because I am the end of all beings. So Brahman, as was defined, and just, be, just before this he said, I am time, the destroyer of all things. Then what do I do? There is this phrase here, which is crucial. Nimitta matram bhavasabhyasajin. You be the instrument, you be the channel, you be that through which the divine will works itself out. As against, as against what you think of yourself right now. I am the doer of these deeds and these are the results I will expect. And so, I am the doer of the karma and the enjoyer or the sufferer of the results of karma. Neither is true. Neither is true. I am, the, Krishna says, I am actually, the God alone is the doer of all things in this universe. And whatever comes as a result of that, that also, it's God alone who gives, not us. We have no control of either doing, uh, curtsy Sapolsky, determined, and no control of the ultimate results of anything. Alright, so what does it mean actually, all of this? Now we come to the, the point. The point is this, that uh, as far as spiritual life is concerned, enlightenment, God-realization, all of that is concerned. The result that enlightenment, God-realization, salvation, moksha, whatever you call it, is not a result of our doing. It's entirely given out of grace. That's, in fact, that's central to the Catholic doctrine. In fact, also the Christian doctrine, most Christian churches would believe in this. That you do not get salvation by your good works. You get salvation by the grace of God, because of Jesus Christ. That is the Christian idea. But that is central to Vedanta also. In fact, every deep understanding of what's going on in the universe is that it's not up to us. Moksha, Nirvana, Enlightenment, God-realization is a gift freely given by God. Then what about us? What should we do? Just wait around, hang around, waiting for it to happen? No. You have to want to, really, really want it. And that really, really wanting it will be expressed in your spiritual practice. In you being up and doing. You have to ask, then only it will be given to you. If you do not ask, it will not be given. Because you don't really want it. Are our efforts God's grace? Our efforts? Our efforts are also God's grace. Yeah, that's the thing. See, these are things which should be handled carefully. The immediate result will be, Oh, so I am not really good at meditation and I don't really 
have so much love for God. And it's anyway, it's out of my hands also. So, <laughs> so the hard questions when you ask, if you say there is no free will, and if you ask the hard questions, the answers can be devastating. So I was reading uh, that Sapolsky, he was asked. Uh, and uh, so are we not responsible? Won't people do terrible things if they hear that there's no free will? If there's no free will, then I'm not responsible. It's nature which is making me do these things. So will I not do terrible things? He said, no, you'll do more or less what you have been doing all along. Just because you read a book or I tell you something, he won't change what you're doing. You will carry on the way you are carrying on. And those people who have done great, we are always told this thing, you know, you can make your life much better. Um, and he says, no, you can't. <laughs> he says, most people, those who have done great things, you know, have tremendous powers of concentration, great creativity, um, lead a very disciplined life. What do you say to that? Uh, every, um, you know, positive uh, um, thoughts, all the teachers, and they all teach, uh, motivational speakers, they'll be out of a job if this is, is this true. They want you to improve your life by leaps and bounds, positive psychology, mo motivational speakers and all. And Sapolsky says, no, mostly luck. Some of you, some people have that. By luck, you have the characteristics of discipline, focus, and you will make something of your life. You never know also, even with all the discipline and focus, it might not work out. Others don't have that luck. They haven't drawn on the right you know, genetics or nurture, and, uh, and so they, they don't. Uh, no, uh, not random. It's de determined, uh, determined by many, many factors, which some of which are biological, psychological, economic, whatever. It's determined. If you think that I'm going to make a change in your life, you can't. Um, that's what he's saying. And it, it's karma, and uh, so uh, can we make a big change to our lives? He says probably not. Should you try? See, that's also determined whether you'll try or not, also determined. <laughs> <laughs> and then he says, sh shouldn't we hold people responsible? He said, those are the big questions. And, uh, so you don't know. Now, he says here that uh, whatever is going on here is the Lord's will, and we should recognize it as that. Effort, however, he says, you have to do it. This, this is the interesting thing. He says, everything here is being done by me. What do you do? St work hard. <laughs> to, together. Sri Ramakrishna gave this uh, example of a bird which flew and sat on the mast of a ship. And unknown to it, the ship sailed into the sea. And wherever the bird flew, he suddenly realized it was bird. the ship was in sea, so the water all around. So it flew to the east, found no land, flew back to the mast, and then again flew to the west and the north and the south. Everywhere there's water and just water. So it just came back. It's helpless. It can't go anywhere. It'll die. So it just came and sat on the mast of the ship. And the ship itself took it to land, finally. Similarly, he says, that whatever you try, you will realize, ultimately you have to take refuge in God. But sitting on the mast of the ship, don't fly around. Don't flap your wings unnecessarily. Finally settle down and surrender to God and then lead your life. Let your life go on as it is going on. There is a funny uh, additional story to this. Years later, when Swami Turiyanandaji, one of the disciples of Sri Ramakrishna, he was in our ashram in Banaras. A young monk who read this story and understood that you have to surrender to God. 
he said to swami turyananda i have understood i won't fly around here and there i'll just settle down on the mast i'll just surrender to god and settle down on the mast and sit still and turyananda ji said when did you fly <laughs> you haven't done anything yet <laughs> that's the point you must try it's not a call to be lazy you must try your best and surrender the results to god if you feel you have free will you must exercise it the problem is what you know we feel we are doing it and it's been done by us and we deserve these results and the results don't come we complain to god i was so good why didn't i get these results or i was good why did i uh, suffer so much it's like we have a right to these results and not to those and also as if we did it this is a very cute little story one of the stories about krishna's childhood is when there was a lot of thunder and storm and everything krishna the famous story of lifting the hill he lifted a govardhan hill krishna lifted it the whole mountain and so everybody took refuge the the cow herds and their cattle they took refuge under the hill um so krishna with his left hand and little what do you call it pinky he lifted the whole hill and that's all that we know but there's a variation to this story he calls all the coward boys and he says help me you know put your staffs up and uh, support the the hill we'll be saved from the thunder and lightning and the storms and so all the coward boys they they work very hard they put staffs up and and then they got a little bit you know they feel we have helped krishna to hold the mountain up the moment they felt this Krishna slowly relaxed a little bit of his the, the finger <laughs> and let go and the mountain began to come down and all the coward boys shouted out oh we're getting crushed we are we are, we are dying help help uh, and <laughs> then they realized it was not our strength which was holding up the mountain but Krishna's strength there is a story in the Upanishads in the Kena Upanishad where the demons and the gods are always fighting and then they um the gods they call out to um god capital g god to help them vishnu usually it's vishnu to help us to fight against the demons and usually vishnu comes down and helps the gods the gods always the good guys and demons um uh, they get defeated but in the story the gods felt we have defeated these demons it is our glory original upanishad asmakam evayam vijayo asmakam evayam mahimeti it is our victory it is our glories and so the gods felt and then this whole story goes how um, you know god capital g brahman comes down in in a form of a ma- manifests in some an extraordinary manifestation and then the whole story evolves from there when he, how he teaches them it is by my power that you are empowered so we learn that all great spiritual teachers throughout history they have testified to this and having testified to this that it's actually god's will which is done on um, in this world and everywhere not ours having testified to that seems very paradoxical their conclusion is work hard try your best don't slack because also i don't have anything to do that's why in general these teachings are not given at the beginning because people will immediately misunderstand anyway we don't want to do spiritual uh, practice we don't want to, meditation is difficult prayer is difficult um, you know doing selfless work and uh, don't, don't want to really so all of that is difficult and if i if i'm told it's not under your control anyway so yeah it's not under control i don't feel like doing it so that's it 
whereas we are very very particular about doing the things we really want <laughs> whatever it is that we want in this world money power relationships facebook likes whatever it is we are up and doing trying to get as much as possible so that's why be up and doing otherwise it won't work the best analysis of this which i have found i mentioned it earlier is a very nice analysis by professor arindam chakravarti who is a professor of philosophy he wrote this essay on free will called why pray to a god who can hear the anklets on an ant's feet it's is quoting from sri ramakrishna sri ramakrishna says god hears everything and he hears the sound of anklets on the feet of an ant th- those who are from india you know that little kids boys girls they used to have little anklets put on their ankles to make th- nowadays they have these little shoes which are squeaky then we have seen kids they flash lights and they make squeaky sounds i think anklets were better more musical <laughs> now sri ramakrishna fancies as if an ant suppose an ant such tiny feet and if you put anklets on the ant's tiny feet how tiny they would be and what a tiny little sound they would make and he says god hears the sound of the anklets on an ant's feet meaning thereby that god hears everything knows everything now this professor he raises the question why pray to a god who knows everything so god will give us whatever you can see the li- link he will bring with free will here so god's going to give us whatever we need right whatever we want god's going to give us because we know god knows what we want no 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 then he goes into the discussion of free will it's a very nice article about 20 25 pages he takes a survey of all the theories of free will first he takes up what is known as the, free, the theories of determinism like sapolsky the all the um so first he takes up libertarianism which is that we have free will there are different theories of that he surveys that and shows their shortcomings then he takes up determinism the theories of um, you know from neuroscience from philosophy of mind from the hard science also the things are causal if it is in causal universe everything is determined back to the day of the, you know the big bang everything follows from that how can you have anything different how can you have any freedom here it's all causal it's a causal chain and then he takes up theories of what are called compatibilism that free will and determinism are not against each other they work together for example he gives two examples there one is our body itself so i raise my hand i want to raise my hand and i'm raising my hand i think my freedom there's my i have a freedom in raising my hand or not i have but it depends on a lot of causal links here that thought must be converted into the proper neurons firing and that must be converted into the right muscles contracting and clenching and then my joints and all working and then only i can raise my hand so all of it is determined back to that initial decision so free will d- depends on determinism for being free suppose the contrary example i want to raise my hand but i am paralyzed my hand doesn't respond to my my will is that free will no so even to exercise free will you need causality another example he gives is in the realm of mathematics so a mathematician is free to think and un- understand and prove hypotheses but only on the basis of fixed axioms if anything can be anything you can't prove anything at all so there is <laughs> there's a logic to the axioms of any kind of math that you do and that must be fixed the rules of the game must be fixed. they can't keep changing all the time 
only in one case the rules of the game are changed and that is krishna god god says i i am the one who originated this game and i set the rules and i cha- change them whenever i want <laughs> but the luckily the thing is he is the player also he is us also the one who is playing this game <laughs> otherwise it would be terrible if we are the players and there is some other uh, power which is in charge of everything um then what conclusion does he come to professor andam chakravarti finally comes to the conclusion there uh, our at our first glance there is free will everything in society uh, requires free will you want to go and buy something the, uh, to walgreens you want to go and buy some stuff there's enormous choice there what does that choice mean you have free will you can choose what you want economics depends on free will your political system democracy depends on free will your legal system the judge can punish you or not punish you because the judge thinks you are free will you freely did wrong things therefore you can be punished if you you know reduced capacity that's an argument this person does not have uh, free will to act so the judge cannot punish you um therefore law economics politics everything in our life and we also have a common sense feeling that we have some free will so that's the first stage the second stage professor chakravarti says when we investigate this so called free will we find find that there can be no free will science philosophy religion all of it is seeming to tell us and now with sapolsky's book overwhelmingly seems to tell us that there, there isn't what you feel this what do i feel then i feel i'm free that's an illusion that's your brain taking you for a ride then third level and final level so what do we do then what do we do then so there is a very subtle solution he has given arindam chakravarti and what krishna is suggesting here is that you take up that illusion of free will you have you feel your free will so take it up but then you now know through religion philosophy science that it's an illusion it's, you really don't have free will so acknowledge that it i'm not really free using what using that feeling of free will acknowledge not i but thou my lord he says naham naham tu hu tu you my lord every in every aspect of our life both secular and certainly in spiritual life it all depends on god this com- complete moment to moment self surrender is the implication of this in self surrender there are two things if you are going to do the self surrender you assume that you are free to do that but sur- surrender also means acknowledging that you don't have freedom so it's a very beautiful rec- rec- um, reconciliation and that's the highest teaching of all religions who believe in god in hinduism this is hinduism in christianity in islam in judaism the highest practice finally is uh, acknowledgement that it is the lord's will and everything that we get is grace i heard something very beautiful shaivism is of different kinds across india in tamil nadu there is a dualistic shaivism in kashmir there is a non dualistic shaivism tamil nadu there is a dualistic shaivism one gentleman i have not studied it but he told me <coughs> there are different levels of spiritual attainment and the last but one level is full realization your identity with shiva and full freedom your moksha you have you have become a fully liberated being nothing higher than that but there remains one last thing the last thing is called this kripa sakshatkara your final realization is everything that happened in life from your bondage and your life and death cycles of life and death 
to your spiritual practices to your eventual liberation and the you know the enlightenment that you have got all of it was beginning to end a to z it was the grace of god that's the highest uh, these are these are theistic religions which believe in god uh, buddhism jainism the ones which do not believe in god they mediate it in another way they they approach it another way um uh, there is that instead of saying my will is doing things they first deconstruct you that you don't exist <laughs> uh, you this idea that i am this person in this body they will show you that there is no such person it's an illusion generated by the m- continuous movements of body mind this persisting person they deconstruct the person and therefore the feeling that i am in charge and i'm doing things no 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 so who is doing things nature is Krishna says this in this book itself prakrityeva karmani kriyamanani sarvasha ya pasyati tathatmanam akartaram sapasyati nature alone does everything the one who realizes it realizes the self is it's sankhya the one who realizes it realizes that the self does nothing you are not the doer of anything this is one thing that krishna has said thrice in the bhagavad gita in different ways in different places not even using the god god language just said nature does everything sapolsky would be happy he said that's what i'm saying but that's wonderful actually that that's a, that spiritual freedom vivekananda said not spirit of free will free will he says is a contradiction in terms but there is freedom you are free moment you say will i will do this you're already in the realm of causation all right there is will end uh, Sabya Sachin, this word Sabya Sachin, which he uses, is a common name for uh, boys in uh, India. Many people don't know what it means. It means that uh, ambidextrous. You can use not right-handed, not left-handed. Literally, it means somebody who can shoot arrows with both hands. <laughs> Even more uh, precisely, it means you can notch the arrow and draw the bowstring with both hands. <laughs> That's the thing which he. addresses arjuna with all right so much for free will <laughs> om shanti 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 hari om tat sat shri ram krishna arpanamastu